Hey, we're talking about connecting with God. We are a people that need to connect with God. It's not a luxury anymore. From the very beginning of time, in fact, in the garden, Adam and Eve connected with God, and their biggest challenge was when they weren't able to because sin alienated them from God. And we're finding ourselves in tremendous need to connect with God. And prayer is a big part of that. And we found out two weeks ago that prayer is made possible because of Jesus. We could never have this personal connection with God. It was always through someone else. And in fact, a personal direct connection with God was through someone else And it was at a a one-time-a-year event on the Day of Atonement through the high priest who would go in and connect directly with God. And then Jesus Christ comes along and is not only the great high priest, he is also the tremendous sacrifice who paid the price for us. And the Bible says so we can come boldly, directly to God and present our lives and our requests to him. So we have this opportunity of prayer because of Jesus. Today we want to talk about a motivation behind our prayer. And love is why we pray. And we realize that oftentimes we throw around these thoughts about, hey, I'm going to pray for you. You know, we we put on Facebook praying for you or we tell someone, yeah, I'll pray about that. And we throw this around so much, and it kind of reminds me of this um, newly elected judge who had won office in a special county election, and during his acceptance speech, here's what he said. He says, I wish to thank the 424 people who promised to vote for me, and I wish to thank the 316 people who said that they did vote for me. And I wish to thank the 47 people who came out last Thursday to vote. And I wish to thank the 26 folks who actually did vote for me. And that's oftentimes the way it is with prayer. It's thrown around. Hey, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And I'm realizing The more I go into this, and we're going to find out today, we pray for what we care about. And we care about what we connect with. So let's get into it here. Uh, Get in your copy of the scriptures or grab your iPhone or whatever you have and turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And this passage isn't exclusively about prayer. Yet it is a big revealer of a marvelous process that exposes the motivation of prayer. And like I mentioned, we pray for what we care about. And we care about what we connect to. We pray for what we care about and we care about what we're connected to. And at this point in the text, in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to find out Jesus had a group of about 70 people that were following him on his missionary journeys, preaching the gospel. And in the 70 were 12 
disciples as we know them and those whom Christ is especially investing his efforts and his life in to cause them to be the first leaders of the church after his departure. And here's how the whole text works through there in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35 through 38. And in fact, I even have it up on the screen here for our um, discussion. Let me go ahead and read it for you. You can follow it along in your copy of the scriptures. Or here it is on the screen. Here's how it reads. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So let's just jump right into this. Hopefully you have your copy of our study guide on the back of your East Bay Weekly. There's a few different points that we're going to work through in Jesus' dialogue with his disciples and with all 70 people that were there. And I want us to see a few different things here. Number one, I want us to understand from this dialogue that connection... Connection develops compassion. Connection develops compassion. Now, like I just talked about, I said, we seldom pray for what we don't care about. So think about that. We pray for what we care about. But what do we care about? We care about what we're connected to. We care about what we're connected to. And so connection develops compassion and we see this, the paragraph begins chronicling the activity of Jesus. It says, as he's going through the crowds, he saw the crowds, and this just didn't start in verse 35, because if you go back earlier in the text, I don't, I don't know how well you can follow back in your Bible or there in your phone or whatever you have, but if you go back, say, to verse 18, just look there really quick. If you go back to verse 18 in chapter 9, it says, While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter just died. And so one of the first things that Jesus is dealing with is a man whose daughter just died. Look at verse 20. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him. So there was a daughter who just died, then a woman who had a blood disease for 12 years. This is what Jesus is dealing with. Look at verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. So you're just seeing this compounding and compounding. A daughter just died. A woman who had a blood disease for 12 years, two blind men. Look at verse 32. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed, a demon-possessed man who could not speak, 
was brought to Jesus. Look at verse 34. In the midst of all of this, Jesus was enduring intense opposition from the Pharisees. Verse 34, the Pharisees said, you know what? It's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So here he's going through this opposition from the religious elites. And then in verse 35, he's going through all the towns and all the synagogues and he's preaching the gospel, and there's all these people who, who do not know the gospel, people that are lost, they are far from God, and these are the people that Jesus is dealing with, and he's personally, interpersonally connecting with these individuals. He has personal, physical contact with those who are hurting, and he is absolutely gripped with compassion. And we see from the text a few very significant things. I I want you to see this. Number one, he had, um, what did Jesus feel? He had compassion. What did he feel? He felt the suffering. He shared in what they felt. The man whose daughter died, he felt some of that. The woman who was going through this blood disease, he felt some of that. The man who was gripped by this demon, he felt some of that. He felt what they felt. He shared in the suffering of another, and he wanted to give support. That's what Jesus felt. That's what compassion is. But we could put the car in park on this, but we got to keep you got to keep moving along. You're going to get a sense of this in just a moment. What did he see? What did Jesus see? He, it, the text mentions he had compassion, and he says they were harassed and helpless like they had no shepherd. And so the idea of this harassment, they were oppressed, they were bullied, they were worn. It, it, it was like as if there were others who were coming in. They were mistreating the people. They were being misled, deceived, enslaved, and trapped. They were helpless, and so there was this idea they were incapable of self-recovery. They were unable to pull themselves out of the situation that they were in. They needed someone on the outside who was going to help them through their situation. And then that brought up the third issue. They had no shepherd. They had no shepherd. They were without one to lead them out of their predicament. So here they were harassed. There was someone who was intensely opposing them and hurting them. And they were unable to help themselves. And then there was no one there who was going to help them. And here's the sad thing. There was religion there. There was plenty of religion there. There was the whole Pharisaical religion. There were the synagogues. There was all of that was there. And Jesus says, you know what? But there's no shepherd. There was, there's no one helping him. Jesus connected with him. This was, um, this was something that he shared in their hurt. 
I ended up, uh, I don't know if you saw on Facebook or Instagram, I went to Bob Evans yesterday. I'm living the bachelor life right now. My wife and uh, some, most of my kids, all except Brielle, are down uh, with Grandma in Grand Rapids this weekend. And so you know what, what I do when my wife and kids are away is I go out to eat. And I went to Bob Evans for breakfast yesterday, and I took my sermon notes, and I started to read through this because I had my sermon all worked out. And as I started to read it, I thought, man... Um, there's a lot more to this than what I had down. And in fact, some of it just hit me in a completely different way because I realized <clears throat> he had connection with people and it developed compassion. And I started to think about some things in my own life. And I'm, I'm going to put it out to you what are some things in your life do you feel compassion for people around you that are hurting or do we feel that they are a nuisance or they are oppressive or they are a problem for us and i'm going to give you an example i remember in my past there was, uh, this is probably 10 years ago, I remember there was a, uh, a, a duplex home in town where I lived. And there was a, a 10-foot, it had to be a 10-foot tall gate uh, fence around it with a small opening. And I would drive by that duplex almost every day on my way into work. And as I would drive by, I'm telling you, it was chocolate of junk in there and it seemed like every day I went by there would be more and more and more junk and every time I drove by I would think man look at that the way some people live and then I see people outside and they're doing various activities and I'm thinking oh Come on, get a life, people. What, do you, what are you thinking? And, and I end up thinking things in my head, and you're, and you're probably living off my taxpayer money. And every day I drive by, and these are the things I'm thinking as I go by. And I remember one day being in church, and this mom came up to me and she said, I need you to pray for my kid. And she just started to weep. I said, what's wrong? And she says, oh my goodness, Pastor, you'll never imagine what they're going through right now. And they need to get out of the situation. She's explaining, explaining it. And I'm like, well, where are they? Maybe we can do something about this. And she says, well... Here's where they live. The difference between her and I was she had a connection and she cared. And I was in my cocoon and I didn't. 
I'll tell you about another situation because I was reading, uh, this is a number of years ago, about um, uh, crack houses and drug houses and, and hearing about how these people just collect together and they all help each other with their drugs and then oftentimes they get their drugs and then they have sex and, and then they drink and that this is all that they do over and over and over and I'm thinking, oh, come on, folks. Can't you just see what you're doing can you just do something else? Why don't you just get out of there, get a job, and do something with your life? And here's my judgmental mind just working through all these things, and I'll never forget this woman who had been in our church for so long, and she came up to me, and I'm telling you, gang, if you could turn on a faucet, her eyes were just pouring and pouring and pouring with tears, and she just said to me, Pastor, my kid my son is selling his body for sex to get drugs and he's in a drug house right now and i need you to pray for him so bad that he can get out of there and the whole difference between this is she had connection And she cared. And I was in my cocoon. And there was someone close to me that I probably would have judged if it was someone else And recently they were going through their problems. But because I was connected with them, folks, I cared and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I got a text this morning that said three months of sobriety today. is what happens when you eat at Bob Evans. <sighs> we won't care about things that we're not connected to. Does that make sense? You know why Jesus cared? He was with him. He was there. He was with the man whose daughter died. He was with the woman whose blood was diseased. He was with the blind men. He was with the demon-possessed man. And guess where the Pharisees were? They were off, and they were cocooned, and they didn't want anything to do with it. Those folks were the opposition. They were the problem. They were the oppressive ones. They screwed up our religion. They dirtied the place. They made us unclean. 
This was not what we wanted, and Jesus was with them. He was a part of them. He was connected with them, and he was moved. I'm sure in the back sound room they're wondering, where is this guy in his notes? There's a phrase on your notes, connection develops compassion. Disconnect develops complacency, or worse yet, contempt. Disconnect develops complacency, or worse yet, contempt. And let's face it, we'd rather be disconnected. I'd rather not know, you know, I'd rather, you know, not my circus, not my monkeys, you know. Put me on the outside. I'd rather not see the problems. I'd rather not feel obligated to do something. I'd rather orbit in my clean Christian culture than to be exposed to the issues of our community. And for many, myself included, ignorance is bliss. And even although making poor life decisions these people would still gain the compassionate eye of Jesus because he views them with value. As worn, though helpless on their own and needing a shepherd to guide them, but he still views them as value. And here's where my whole thought in Bob Evans completely took a total turn because I realized for the first time, catch this, Jesus says, in looking at the crowds and what they were like, he said, now follow in the text, what did he call them? He said, the what is truly plentiful? The harvest. He called them harvest. And he's in an agricultural society, Right? So for those people, that is money. That's value. He's saying, look, folks. Look at all of those people. And I'm sure they're looking at them thinking, ugh. And Jesus said, look at the value. Look at the price. Look at the opportunity. When they see oppression and they see opposition, Jesus says, look at the opportunity. Look at the value. Look at all that's there. And that's what Jesus saw. And he saw because connection develops compassion. I really believe some people say, well, you need to feel for the loss. You need to sense the hurt and all of those things. And I don't know that we'll ever truly do that until we connect. Until we connect. Here's number two. When we connect, sense compassion. Compassion fuels prayer. Compassion fuels prayer. 
Now, I like this. Because oftentimes people will say, the first thing, do something. You know, you see, you need, do something. Well, I like this because Jesus, before do something, he says, pray. Understanding the plight of people, understanding the challenges of people, when we feel compassion, when we're with them and we see a challenge, the very first thing Jesus says is, man, pray. I want you to pray. This is what he mentions, pray Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Seldom will we ever pray for what we don't care about. Seldom will we ever care about what we don't connect with. And so just navigating through it, we connect with it, we care about it, and then we need to pray for, we need to pray for these people need to pray for this harvest. We need to pray to the Lord of the harvest. I remember the words of Nehemiah, the prophet, and, and he was in a very similar situation. He was aching for his people in Jerusalem when they went through such a destructive situation. You, you have to see this passage in Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4. Look at it up here on the screen. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And then notice what Nehemiah did. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Obviously, there's a connection. These are his people. That's his city. He says, I sat down and I wept, and for some days I mourned and I fasted, and I, guess what he did? I prayed before the God of heaven. I just laid it out there. Nehemiah's care for the people of Jerusalem, he wept and then prayed to God, and he, he just loved his city and the people of it so dearly. And that love drove him to prayer. I wrote down a little phrase for us to think about. Oftentimes people say, you know, we need to pray more. We need to pray more. We need to, and I believe we do need to pray for. But I believe most Christians' challenges may not be with their prayer life, but with their love life. Does that make sense? Most Christians' challenges may not be with their prayer life, but with their love life, because love and care and compassion are fuel to our prayer. So much even 
that unbelievers have come to me and said, Pastor, would you pray? They want me to pray. Unbelievers do. Because they care about something. And so that care and that love is oftentimes the fuel to it. And so just to pray is one thing, but to care is oftentimes what ignites this passion to continue to talk to God about our thing. Now, here's the cool thing. This also came up at Bob Evans yesterday. Since God views them as harvest, now think about this with me. Sometimes we view them as the hardest, oh, they're impossible to reach. How in the world is this ever going to turn around? I, I, don't, I don't see us being ever able to do something with these people. Well, here's the cool thing. You see there in the text it says to ask or pray to the, now you see it in there, to the Lord of the, oh, interesting. So this is a cool thing. So we're talking to the Lord of the, of the harvest. We're asking the God who is the boss, the sovereign one, over those people. We've got an insider who's in control over those hurting individuals. We're praying to the one who's sovereignly in control and able to help us be able to minister to them. Now, that's a cool thought. And then not only that, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into, here's the other crazy one, his harvest field. I used to think, man, Satan's got a grip on them, Satan's their boss, and this is Satan's domain. Well, here's the cool thing. God's got a grip on them, and this is God's domain, and I need to talk to God to release laborers into his field. Let's do something about this thing. Compassion fuels prayer to the Lord of the harvest to release people into his harvest field. We've almost got a monopoly on this thing to affect the individuals who need it the most. And so here when we Connect with these individuals, it develops compassion. When we have compassion, it fuels prayer. And then notice, prayer stimulates action. Now, this is a cool thing. I love this. Because in chapter 10, after Jesus says, So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his field, Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him. He says, Guys, come on in here. And he says, Um, you're going to go out into the field and be my laborers. 
So it's kind of a really neat thing in that sometimes the one praying ends up being the answer to the prayer. Jesus told his disciples, I want you to pray that God will send out workers. And then he says, guess what? Um, You're going out as the worker. Prayer isn't intended to be a mere mental exercise. If prayer began something because it moved your heart, prayer is expected to also move your hands and your feet and your mouth as well. Prayer stimulates action. Consider that you just might be the answer to the prayer that you're praying to God. Think about it. Here's how we're going to finish up. What should we do? There's about 100 things that we should do. I'm just going to give you three and let the Holy Spirit continue to work in your heart. Here's number one. Here's number one. Connect. Connect, connect, connect. If you say, you know what, Pastor? I just really don't feel burdened for anybody or anything. Then here's the very first thing you can do is connect connect with someone. You need a face. You need a name. You need a situation. You need to get beyond maybe some things that tick you off. Some annoyances and really get into what their needs are. Maybe you need to forget about their political party. And really think about where they are and what their needs are. Maybe you need to stop basing their value on if they think the same thing as you and put their value on what God puts it on. They're created in his image. But connect with your community. Don't cocoon. When we cocoon, we complain. When we connect, we care. Understand the people of our region. Observe the world you live in. Know the greatest challenges here. Look past the problem to their pain. Connect. Here's number two. Oh, you know I'm preaching on this one. There's a reason why we take the offering before the message, because you may not like this one. Pray for your enemies. Boy, loud amen on that one. Wow, amen, pastor. Love that one. Tell us more. You may not like me for it, but Jesus said it before me. You know what? Your enemies need prayer. And Jesus said it so well. He said, I tell you, you used to hear it. You know, love your friend, hate your enemy. He says, I'm going to tell you this. Love your enemy. That's what he said. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. But I don't like them. I know. They have needs. Look past their problem to their pain. 
Guess what Jesus said on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Really? Yeah. Romans 12, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow. Now we know that we're really connecting when we can have compassion even on our enemies. That's Jesus kind of stuff right there. Here's a third thing. Let prayer move you. Let prayer move you. Oftentimes we think we want prayer to move others, and it can. But let prayer move us. God, move me. Have me connect with these people. Develop in me a heart for these people. God, have me be the answer to prayer. Not always someone else. Not the vague person. God, have someone meet their need. Maybe it's me. God, have someone care for them. Maybe it's me. God, have someone love them. Maybe it's me. Let prayer move us. Prayer isn't just an intellectual thing. It's a push into the practical. It's God, use me to meet this need for which you have given me a passion. And we'll have that passion if we connect. And we'll connect if we get out of the cocoon. I mentioned this to you probably over a year ago. I remember um, eight years ago, my wife and I um, had talked on the phone, and I was I was um, coming back from work, and we were just chatting about whatever husbands and wives talk about. I said, any mail today? And she's like, oh, a few things. And it's on the table. And so I came in and I just, you know, just saw it and I just threw it in the garbage and it didn't seem like anything important. And I remember um, she said, did you look at that one on the top? And I said, I, I really didn't. I said, it just looked like everyone just wanted money. And she says, well, look at it. And so I... I look at it, and there's a picture of some kids, and, and I saw some dollar figures and whatever, and, and I said, well, I think, I think they just want money, and she says, I, I, I don't know, and she said, well, read it, and so I read it, and as I read it, um, we realized they didn't want money. They wanted us to um, host orphan kids from Ukraine. And I, I just, I thought, 
we don't know their language. And, um, and it's a lot of money. And, and, then, and then they said at the bottom, we want you to pray about this. And I, <laughs> I don't know, you know. And then, and then they mentioned their name, and then they, you know, would you please call? And, and I, I don't know. And I looked at my wife, and of course she looked at me and like, how about we call? And I'm like, oh boy, now we're in trouble. So I said, well, I'll call. And I called and I said, you know, uh, what's up with this? And, and they said, well, here's what it is. And you can host these orphan kids and they need, they need to know the love of family. They need to know the love of Jesus. They said, it's about $3,000 for them to come for two months. And... Um, and I said, and, and then they said, and we need an answer from you. I said, oh, when do you need that by? And they said, by um, tomorrow morning. Now, wow, that's uh, something else. And so we pulled all the kids together. We went to Friendly's for dinner. We had a little powwow, and we prayed about it. We went around the table, and we all talked about it. And we decided, let's do it. Let's do it. And I remember the, the girl that we ended up hosting. Her name was Anastasia, or Nastia for short. And I'll never forget her getting off the plane and looking like the picture, and she came out, no luggage. It was summer, she was wearing shorts and a tank top. No luggage, no carry-on, no backpack. She had a little Ziploc, not even a purse, just this little thin zip thing. I don't even know what women call those. That is it. She came up to us and we hugged her and she reeked of body odor. And our hearts absolutely broke. And when we walked out of the airport, she went into the bathroom and she handed my wife that little pouch and my wife opened it up. And just to be plain with you, all that she brought from Ukraine was one feminine pad. It's all she had to her name. This type of connection broke us. It absolutely broke us. And developed compassion and has changed our prayer life. My first instinct was in the garbage it went. Because we like our cocoon. And I encourage us to bust through those walls to connect with the world like Jesus, 
to feel the compassion that he did for those who were harassed and helpless, needing a shepherd, and then praying, God, send forth labors, and then don't be surprised when he taps you on the shoulder and says, guess who that is? It's you. It's you. Would you stand with me? We are going to pray. And in our prayer time, maybe God has already broken your heart for someone that you are connected with. Maybe you've already cried those tears like we have and so many others. And you want to pray for them. You can pray right where you are. Or if you want, you can come on down here and pray with me right, right down here at the front of this platform. Or maybe you want God to open your heart for some, someone in our community or your neighbor or your family and you are disconnected and you realize that needs to happen, you can pray about that right where you're at, or you can say, you know what, I want to go down front, and I just want to connect with God down there. Come on down here, right where I'm at, and you can pray to God right down here, right down front. Or maybe you want to talk to someone about personally connecting with God. Maybe you're that person on the outside. Maybe you're the one who's harassed and helpless, and you're saying, man, I need a shepherd. I need Jesus then I say, come on down, gang. But let's just take a moment and let's pray. While the music plays, if you want to come on down for whatever reason, come on down, gang. And pray right down here, right down front. And uh, be a part of this connection with God praying for someone that you love or praying that God would open your heart to someone close to you or a neighbor or your enemy or a co-worker whatever it may be come on down God use us break us open us come come on down You got someone you want to pray for. If you want to pray that God will open your heart, you just come on down. You can pray where you're at. That's good too. Whatever you got. Whatever you want.
Oh, God, you're so good. Thank you that you loved us. Thank you for your heart for us. Thank you for your heart of compassion for the crowds. And we've been in that crowd. Thank you for being our shepherd when we were helpless and harassed. You've been so good to us for busting out of heaven and coming to earth to touch us, to rescue us, to be our redeemer, our savior. That substitute for our punishment on the cross. And we're forever grateful. And God, help us to be like Jesus, the ones to burst through that cocoon, to connect, to care, to pray, and then to be the answer to that prayer. Continue to help this ministry, our people, to be like Jesus in this world for your glory and your praise. And together as a church, in one voice, we pray, amen.